This morning, we are beginning a new series of studies in the New Testament epistle of James. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, or you're watching from home this morning on our live stream broadcast, or perhaps later in the week, please turn with me to James chapter 2 as we look together at the latter part of the chapter. You're going to find it on page 1882, 1882 of the church Bible. If you have joined us recently on our live stream broadcast, it would be helpful if you're watching from home to have a Bible in one hand and a notepad and something to write with in the other as we get deeper and deeper into the epistle of James. And what we're going to find over the next two or three months is the more we immerse ourselves in this passage, the more we will discover how to live it out Sunday by Sunday. So let's come to James 2 at verse 14. And James writes... What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, okay, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Some of you will be familiar with the movie actor Denzel Washington. Denzel has been making movies for over 40 years. He has won two Academy Awards, three Golden Globes, numerous other accolades have been showered upon him, and he he is considered one of Hollywood's elites. Now, back in 2017, he gave a commencement speech that was so well done that millions upon millions have watched it on YouTube since then. In addition to that, he's been invited by multiple colleges and universities to deliver the same commencement speech at their graduation. And in speaking to graduates who had worked their socks off, were about to graduate, and go off into the wide world, 
This is what he said. And his first point was this. Dreams without goals are just dreams. Isn't that challenging in itself? Dreams without goals are just dreams. He then went on and said, the gaps between goals and achievement is determined by discipline and consistency. Discipline and consistency are not words we hear much in our contemporary lexicon. Thirdly, he says, you need to control your mind to realize what lies in your heart. In other words, don't follow up every thought that passes through your mind, but refine them, analyze them. What difference do they make in my life? Will they make me a better person or a worse person? And as I listened to it again recently, I was so challenged, I thought to myself, as I'm moving into 2023, this was a couple of weeks ago, and now we're halfway through the first month of 2023, where are we in terms of our own resolutions? Now, if you were with us last Sunday, Sunday morning or watched from home in the live stream, you'll remember I said I really don't like calling them resolutions. I much prefer to call them casual promises that I make to myself so that I'm under no legal obligation to fulfill them. And that gives us enough wiggle room to feel good that we actually made resolutions, but we're not obliged to follow them through. We're not obliged to achieve them. We're not obliged to do anything, in fact. And so the question we asked last Sunday morning stands as solid as it did then and does again this Sunday morning. Did you, in those early days of January, think of spiritual resolutions for the year ahead? Did you pray, Father, make my prayer life this year one that is rich and full, one that brings contentment, when I spend time in your presence, when I feel and sense your overwhelming love? Was that one of your New Year resolutions? Did you say, Father, I want my walk with Christ this year to be very real, to be impactful, to make a difference to me? Help me to live out my faith. Was any of your resolutions in and around there? And this morning as we begin to look again at the epistle of James, the question we're going to return to over the next three months, because we'll be with James during January, February, March, right up to Easter. Now Easter's not that far away. It is in fact about 13, 14 weeks. In fact, it's less than that, somewhere around 12 weeks. And over these next 12 weeks, the question we're going to ask is this. Who are you willing to be? And what are you willing to do to be the person God is calling you to be? Now, let me break that down for you. Who are you willing to be? In other words, are you going to be a man or woman who says that for me this year in my thought life and in my behavior pattern and how I interact with others, holiness is going to be a priority. Purity 
is going to be a living reality for me in my thought life this year. This year, I'm going to stand apart in the middle of office gossip. When others are tearing someone down, I will not become involved. I won't stand there around the water cooler and give someone else a hard time or laugh at that particular kind of joke or participate. Who are you willing to be? And secondly, what are you willing to do be the person God is calling you to be? What are you willing to give up? Old patterns of behavior? Thought process? Ways of interacting with your spouse, your children, colleagues at work? Are you willing to be obedient to his call? Live out in faithfulness your faith day by day by day by day, not in stops and starts here and there throughout the year? Who are you willing to be? What are you willing to do? And are you willing to count the cost of self-sacrifice and submission? Those are some of the questions we're going to come across as we get further and further into James. Now, most of you are familiar enough with James, and please forgive me. Some of you will remember this from our series last fall. Others won't. James falls into the classification of New Testament documents called the general epistles. In other words, it's not written to a particular congregation. It's not written to the church at Corinth or the church at Thessalonica or Colossae or Romans. It's not written to a person. It's not written to 1 Timothy followed up by 2 Timothy or Philemon. There's a general epistle written to people who, in the midst of persecution, fled from Jerusalem, went north to ancient Antioch, today's modern Syria, then up and round, sorry, as you look at the map, it's up and round to what we call, or used to call, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. That's the kind of region. Others would have come south and come west towards Egypt. And James is writing to them in what sense? He's writing to them to encourage them to maturity and growth. And in fact, the epistle of James by one New Testament scholar said is this, James is characterized by its hard-hitting practicality as it brings timeless truths into our everyday lives. And it does. And it is not an easy book to read. Well, it's an easy book to read that can be read, in fact, in eight minutes. And you're saying, Richard, it can be read in eight minutes and you're going to spend three months in it on Sunday morning? Come on! Well, it will take us three months for this reason. When you pause and you slow down and you prayerfully investigate James and take it verse by verse and apply it to your life, then it begins to be hard-hitting, practical, dealing with timeless truths. And that's why we'll take our time in James. And so as we begin James, it is worth knowing all of this. But before we do, let me leave you, or at least give you a tool that I think will help. 
On the way in this morning, you should have received a bookmark choir. Did you get one as you came in? If you don't, you can pick them up uh, on the way out or in the choir area. And if you don't, we'll make sure you get them, now that I've said that publicly. So you're going to get them. And we designed this bookmark for one reason. To give us a tool to help us in the study of James. Because on the first side, what you have is a series of Sunday mornings and a series of passages connected to the Sundays. And the idea behind it is this, and it's a fairly simple tool, and we've used similar tools in the past, that if in 2023 your biggest prayer has been thus far, Father, help me to take 10 minutes each day to spend quietly with you opening up the scriptures and reading It is designed for exactly that. So you'll see a passage. For example, the passage we're studying today has been set. And so this coming week, you go over that passage again. It will take you two or three minutes to read and then pray through. And what you will discover if you do it Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday through to next weekend, what you will discover is this, that God will take that passage and apply it to situations in your life. Tension and difficulty at work. Dealing with an estranged adult child. Perhaps you're in your late 20s longing for a child. You and your husband have prayed and cried out. And will this passage speak into your life from the biblical principles we learn? Of course it will. Will it be of comfort and reassurance to you? Absolutely. And that's what happens when you open up God's word and show discipline and consistency. He will begin to speak into your life when you practice, practice, practice to live out your faith. That will make a difference. And in addition to this, there are four questions at the bottom. The four questions at the the bottom of the bookmark are the questions we've asked before. We've asked them several times before. And it's a helpful reminder when we come to a passage of Scripture, what does the passage actually say? That's the first question. Second question, what does the passage say about God? Third question, what does the passage say about me? And finally, and here comes the hard-hitting practicality, is there something I must do? Is this the day when I go to my spouse and say, forgive me? I don't know what I was thinking. I have no idea why I would even begin to say such a thing to you. I was just being a jerk. Please forgive me. Let me start again. I'm so sorry. That's working out your faith. That's living out the call of the gospel on your life day by day. And so those four questions are right there to help us. And so I trust you'll find that a helpful tool as we go through January, February, and March. Inquire, please remember, and we'll make sure that that you get them. Now, having said all of that, let's come to the passage itself. As you come to James, notice how it begins, because this can be a perplexing and difficult passage to deal with. And James begins... What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And then he makes 
he uses the illustration. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about the physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now remember who's writing. This is James. And he begins this latter half of chapter 2, my brother's. Why is that significant? Significant for this reason. For the Apostle Paul, in writing what is considered his most biographical epistle, Galatians, he writes this. He had gone up to Jerusalem, and he says, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Now think of that. I went to Jerusalem. I saw none of the other apostles. In other words, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, I saw only James, the Lord's brother. Can you imagine what it was like to grow up in the same home as Jesus? Play the same games, be fed the same meals, have the same parents, humanly speaking. And James didn't come to faith till after the resurrection. He was familiar with the ministry of Jesus. He was familiar with his life and ministry and the miracles and the teaching and the impact he had on countless thousands, tens of thousands. But it was only after the resurrection that he fully realized who Jesus was. And when James is writing, he's writing from personal experience saying, I used to be that way, but now I'm this way and I'm seeking to follow him day by day. And that's why it's important. And he writes, my brothers, seven or eight occasions, maybe even slightly more, he uses that phrase, my brothers. The word is adelphos, and it means from the same womb. Now think of that. He's writing to people in the first century. It's equally applicable to us in the 21st century. And he's saying, my dear brothers, my dear sisters, my family. That's what he's writing. And he says, what good is it if a man claims to have faith? And notice what he says, claims to have faith. Do you see that? That's the scenario he's made, and he puts it in there deliberately. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds? And that's the point he's making. Now, some of you are already saying, but Richard, hold on. As I read this passage, it caused me all sorts of questions in my mind, because in my mind, Richard, I've heard you teach it multiple times, the righteous shall live by faith, not by deeds, by faith. And doesn't Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that wonderful passage of Scripture say, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourself. In other words, you cannot be saved by your own deeds or your own goodness, but you're saved by faith through grace. It's a gift of God. So does James and Paul stand in polar opposites from each other? No, because what James is saying is this. Look at it again. Remember the first question in the bookmark. What does the passage actually say? If a man claims to have faith. In other words, it's not enough just to claim to have faith because with a living relationship with Christ comes new birth. And from new birth comes what? New behavior. 
With Christian belief comes Christian behavior. In other words, it is your faith that motivates you and strengthens you and equips you to do what? To show compassion, to go the extra step and love the unlovable, to take the stands to help those who have no voice living in the womb and others want to take that life from that child. And we stand firmly and say no, because we have been exposed to the love and grace of God ourselves. That's why we step up and help homeless shelters. That's why we give towards assisting those who have no food, can pay their utility bills, are struggling at all sorts of levels, and we try to say to the best we can, we'll be there for you. We'll be there for you. And when we say we long to change the spiritual heart of this city, we mean it. And we mean it through modeling what genuine faith looks like. Remember the point of minutes ago? With new life comes new behavior. With Christian belief comes Christian behavior, and that involves compassion. And James is saying, if a man claims to have faith, but actually doesn't live it out, the man is pretending. It's hypocrisy. In other words, how many times have we said it in the past? We have a generation coming up who listen with their eyes. They want to know, is this faith authentic? Is it credible? Does it make a difference? Is it real? That's what's going on here. And Abraham is, and James is saying there's not a problem here. It's the faith that fuels the activity. And the righteous live by faith because we've been saved by grace, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. In fact, Jesus put it this way, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Remember the question at the beginning? Who are you willing to be? And what are you willing to do to be the person God is calling you to be? Someone very cleverly said this. Genuine faith is like calories. You can't always see them, but you can see the results. Isn't that true? Of course it's true. It's not enough just to say, I believe. It has to be lived out in behavior. And of course, the man or woman, boy or girl who comes to faith in Christ, they change. New motivations, new desires. Prayer becomes a priority. Worship is important. Living out their faith day by day matters. That's how you grow. That's how you mature. And then James points us to Abraham. And he highlights Abraham, and let me see it. You will see, I'm reading verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? And here it comes, verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions work together. They're not in competition. They're in cooperation that's why James is so hard-hitting. He says, it's not enough to claim it. You have to live it out. That's the point. And in Hebrews chapter 11, that spectacular chapter on faith, the writer to the Hebrews says, by faith, 
Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It was from a position of faith and trust that he then acted. He lived out his faith. He was obedient to the call and challenge of God on his life. That's exactly what's going on here. Now, you may be saying, okay, Richard, I think I've grasped what you're saying, and I'm glad you attempted to at least clear up that passage for me, because that was always a tension in my mind. Now, Richard, help me understand and be practical in what you're going to say. Please give me one thing to do this week that'll make a difference. Because you've thrown so much at us this morning, I'm slightly feeling as if I'm drowning a little. Well, if that's you, take out your bookmark, turn it to the back side, and on the back side, what you will discover is this. There are five questions. Now, I don't for a moment expect you to tackle all five questions in the next week, but begin to prioritize them. Which question addresses where I am in my relationship with Christ? Which question is so needful that I need to respond to it this week? And the first question is a question we've asked before. And we have used bookmarks in the past. They're not some great new invention, but they're immensely helpful. And the first question is, what is the most important way that I will, by God's grace, try to make this year different from last year? Is it a relationship issue in my marriage? Is it relational between myself and my children? Is it a situation in work? Have I fallen out with my neighbors? How will I make this year by the grace of God that energizes and strengthens me help me to be different this year? Secondly, what one thing could I do to improve my prayer life this year? Just one thing. Are you ready for the answer? Pray. That's the answer. Pray. Persevere. Discipline and consistency. Gosh, I sometimes have to challenge myself and say, Richard, if you actually prayed as much as you speak about it, your prayer life would be so much better. And that's right. Lip service is not enough. Faith without works, Mm -mm. not enough. Third question, or fourth question, what is the most humanly impossible request that I will ask of God this year? Could it be for that young couple in your family who are grieving over their inability to have a child? That would be some answer to prayer. A long-term problem you've wrestled with in terms of purity of thought life, and you've simply put it down to habits and pattern, and it's just me. No, it's not. Change it. What are you willing to do? Who are you willing to become to be the man or woman he's calling you to be? Deal with it. What is one thing I could do this year to enrich the spiritual legacy I will leave to my children and grandchildren? Isn't that something? 
What would you want them to see in you? Because remember, they're listening with their eyes. And finally, are there anxieties, attitudes, doubts, emotions, behavioral patterns or thought processes that I need to leave behind in 2022? Could it be that your prayer is, Father, let me put this down and leave it right there as I continue to move into this new year? By the grace of God, I promise never to go back and deal with it, not to pick it up again and carry it, but to leave it there at your feet and become the man or woman you're calling me to to be. What was the challenge? What are you willing to do? Who are you willing to become? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenge from the epistle of James. Help us please over these next few months as we continue to immerse ourselves further and further into this epistle to be the people you long for us to be. Help us not to shy away from the difficult and tough questions, but to live out our faith day by day. And grant to us, please, your enabling grace as we deal with some tough questions in our own lives. Above all things, grant to us the ability to love you more. And in the light of your glory and love, May we seek to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.